Good morning again. Hope everyone is doing well. Our uh, normal pastor, our senior pastor, Josh Green, is not with us today, so I'm uh, thankful to be here. Glad to to be here when um, I'm, I'm often reminded of a, of a passage in Acts. I think it's in chapter 19, either either 19 or 17, where uh, Paul's talking uh, to the to the people in Athens, and it's kind of this this throwaway line. It's not really uh, germane to the topic he's talking about at the at that point, but he says he's talking about God, and he says who uh, determined beforehand the definite times and places or boundaries where we would live, um, and it's a. It's a it's a it's a good kindness that, that God has done to me to um, to have determined long ago that um, that I would that I would live in Fairdale during this time and so I, I love you all love love our church I'm happy to be here and I'm um, happy to be an associate pastor here and happy to be opening the word with you all this morning as you're turning to Colossians chapter one we're just going to look at one verse today. As you're turning there, let me pray for us. Father God, we are so thankful this morning that the songs that, that we have sung already are true. God, we're so thankful that we have a, uh, a gospel to proclaim, and that we have a gospel to believe, and, and that we have a gospel to sing. God, we're thankful that you have, have saved us. That's not something that, that you owed us or that you had to do for us. And so, God, we're overwhelmed by that, and, and we're thankful for that. God, I pray this morning that you would open your word um, to us. God, I pray that, that, that you would give us, by the working of your Holy Spirit here, God, you would give us eyes to see and, and minds to understand and hearts to, to love what we read here this morning. God, we thank you so much for our Savior, Jesus, and it's in his strong name that we pray. Amen. Sorry, hadn't started yet. I wanted to cry. Um, so we're going we're gonna to be looking at one verse today, just Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-eight. Um, and before we get there, though, I just want to kind of kind of think through a few things and, and tell you why we're why we're there this morning. Um, so so churches today do do lots of things, right? Um, I, I, I wrote down a list of things last night that I could think of just off the top of my head, and I'm sure we could add other things to it, but. But often churches um, today, um, one of the main things that we do, obviously, is worship, right? We gather for worship. And our, our pastor, Josh Green, preached about that last week, about how central worship is, how important worship is to the life of a, of a church. But we also do other things. We do benevolence ministries, right? There, there are lots of churches that, that have food pantries or have homeless ministries or um, have other types of, of benevolence ministries. Um, there are lots of churches that have um, educational ministries, Either, either preschools or even elementary schools, high schools. Some churches even have uh, colleges or, or, or seminary-type programs to prepare people for, for ministry. We have outreach ministries where we work with um, street evangelism and uh, visitation groups and um, FCA, Young Life, Youth for Christ, stuff like that, radio ministries, television ministries. We do lots of things. Some churches have, have recreational ministries, Right, where there's uh, different sporting groups or traveling groups, um, things like that. 
Um, some churches have, have social action ministries where, where people might be involved in that and they might go and, and work in pro-life ministries or they might work in, uh, in foster care or, or adoption type activities or, or um, at, when I was reading through the, the history of our church, just term 100, when I was reading through that history, there was a time in the life of our church where, where many of the members here, especially many of the women here, were involved in the temperance movement, the anti-alcohol movement, right? Um, and, and, and so we do a lot of those things as well, and those things are, are good, right? And as, as our church continues to grow, hopefully our ministries will continue to expand and we'll continue to add new things and, 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 and serve our, our community in, in those different ways. Um, but it's important to ask, what are, what, what are the main things that we do, right? What is the main thing that we as a church are to be doing? And last week, um, Pastor Josh spoke about worship. And, uh, and today, I want us to look at, at, at something else that, that we should be doing, one of the main things that we should be doing. And if we're not doing it, then we should, not, uh, we should no longer be a church. And so if, you, if you're open to Colossians chapter 1, um, we're going to look at, at verse 28. And as we look at verse 28, I want us to ask four questions. And I think, I think this verse is going to answer these four questions. Okay, And here are the four questions. What do we do? Or what should we do? How do we do it? Who do we do it to? And why do we do it? Okay? What do we do? How do we do it? Who do we do it to? And, and why do we do it? Listen as I read. I'm actually going to read two verses. We're going to focus just on verse 28. But I'm going to read 28 and 29 both. Paul says, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, with all God's energy, that God powerfully works within me. So let's look at these, these four questions. What is it that we do, number one? What do we do? And, and Paul tells us here that one of the main things we as a church should be doing is we should be proclaiming Christ. If we're not proclaiming Christ, if we're not proclaiming Jesus, then, then we should no longer be a church. We can be something else. We can be a social club or something like that, but we can't be a church if we're no longer proclaiming Jesus. Okay? To proclaim something means to, to make like a big public announcement. Right? To, to announce something far and, and wide. So, so think of a newspaper. Think of like, a, like a, uh, an obituary, a death notice in a newspaper. Right? Think about a marriage announcement or a, or a, a baby announcement in a, in a newspaper. Where I grew up in, in a small, really small town in, in a, kind of a farming community in rural West Tennessee, um, we have a little weekly newspaper that comes out once a week in my hometown. And there's a personal section. And in the personal section, often these older ladies will put ads in the personal section um, announcing to the city or to the town who came to visit them that week and how they're related to each other and where they came from and how long they stayed and, and, and those kind of things. They want, to know, they want people to know kind of what's going on in their, in, in their life. But that's, that's an, an announcement. That's a, that's a proclamation. If we live in a, in, in, in a small town, especially, oftentimes if a high school team or another local sports team um, or, or, sports, uh, or local celebrity were to do something and maybe win a state championship or something like that, the mayor might sign a proclamation, right, proclaiming this is the, uh, the Fairdale High School basketball commemoration day or something like that, right, depending on, on what it might be. Just, just recently I received in the mail a, a Christmas card 
Um, and it was, it was kind of a Christmas letter type card, I guess. The, the, the friends that sent it to me um, had, had sections where they talked about all their kids and what their kids were doing and, and what they were doing. And, th- and that was a type of, of a proclamation or an announcement of, of how their, their year had gone, right? This is what, this is what a, procl- a proclamation is. To proclaim something is to announce it far and wide so that, so that all hear and all might know. And as Christians, we are proclaiming um, an event, but, but really more than that, we're proclaiming a person, right? We're proclaiming a person. We're proclaiming uh, certain truths about a certain person. It's not so much a what that we proclaim, it's a, it's a who that we proclaim. This is one reason that I, that I, I like our church's mission statement that, that helps to keep us on track, right? Our mission statement says First Baptist Church of Fairdale exists to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. That's central to what we do is we proclaim Jesus. And, and it's important, right? We, we love God, that's, that's worship. We, we love people, we serve people, that's, that's benevolence and outreach and those kind of things that we talked about before. But it's, there's a little word in there that's important. It doesn't say that we proclaim Jesus and we do those things, right? It says we proclaim Jesus while we do those things. Even the outreach that we do, even the service that we do, even the worship that we, that we give to God is we're doing that as we're proclaiming Jesus. Proclaiming Jesus is part of that. And if we're not proclaiming Jesus, then we're not doing those things well. If we're not proclaiming Jesus in our worship services, then we're not worshiping well. If we're not proclaiming Jesus in our, in our benevolence and outreach and, and service ministries, then we're not doing those things well either. So what do we proclaim about him? We, we proclaim, um, I think, two things. We proclaim that he is the Lord and that he is the Christ. He's the Lord and he's the Savior. Right? He, he's the Lord. He's the one that, that created the universe. He's the one that we have to give an account to. He created all things, things that we see, things that we don't see. And he's the one that we have to answer to at some point. He's also the, the, the one and only Savior through whom we can be reconciled to God. We proclaim that about him. We proclaim to the world that he, that he left his throne as the king of the universe and he came down and and, and took on humanity, became one of us, so that he might live a perfect life for us. And then he took responsibility for our sins and, and died for those so that we can be made right, reconciled to God. If we're faithful believers, faithful followers of Jesus, and if we're following Paul's example here to the Colossians, then, then one of the main things that we must do is proclaim Jesus. And if we don't do that, then we're not being faithful. So what do we do? We proclaim Jesus. Who do we do it to? Paul tells us several times in this one little verse. He emphasizes it so much. It's in there three different times. We proclaim Jesus to everyone. To everyone. Right? No distinctions. The, uh, the Sunday school class that, that I've been teaching for the last few weeks, um, we've been studying and going through some of Jesus' parables in the New Testament. And last week we looked at the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you know much about that parable, it's about this, this guy that's going on this deserted road and he gets, uh, he gets robbed and beat up and left there for dead. And this priest comes by and, and sees him and goes out of his way to avoid him. And, and then this Levite, this other uh, kind of Hebrew religious leader, um, does the same thing. He walks by, sees him, passes by without helping him. Lastly, the Samaritan man um, comes by and he doesn't pass by, he stops. And he, and he helps the man. He, he treats his wounds. He binds up his wounds. He, he, he takes him to an end to recover. And he covers 
all the expenses that, that the man uh, incurs in his recovery. And the reason I bring that up is because Jesus tells that, that story in response to a trick question. There's a man that asks him this trick question, um, and, and the question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story to define who a neighbor is, but, but the, the reason it's a trick question is because the man doesn't really want to know who his neighbor is. He's trying to figure out who his neighbor is not so that he can know who he doesn't have to be a neighbor to, who he doesn't have to treat well. And, and sometimes we can ask these questions like, who do we proclaim Jesus to? And maybe, we're, maybe sometimes we're more concerned with who do we not have to proclaim Jesus to than who do we do have to proclaim Jesus to. But, but Paul doesn't let us get off like that. He says we proclaim Jesus to everyone. No, no exceptions. It's emphasized, like I said, three times in this one short little verse. So there, there, there's no mistake in it. There's no loopholes here. There's no way to, to, to fight it. There's no way out. We're to proclaim Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. Everyone who comes into our sphere of ministry, everyone who comes into our sphere of influence, we tell them about Jesus. This also includes all kinds of people, right? We don't get to pick and choose the type of people that we want to Tell about Jesus. Men and women, both. People of all races, people of all languages. People of all economic situations, rich people, poor people. Likeable people, unlikable people, right? People that are easy to talk to, people that are hard to talk to. To put it simply, uh, you and I, we don't have the right to decide who gets to hear about Jesus. If, if someone is in our sphere, then, then, then we have an obligation to them. If we're to be faithful believers, faithful followers of Jesus, and we're following Paul's example here, we're to proclaim Jesus, and we're to proclaim Jesus to everyone who comes within our sphere of influence. The third question, how do we do that? How is it that we do this? Well, he tells us, he tells us that we do it two ways. We do it by warning people, and we do it by teaching people. We do it through warning and through teaching. First of all, he tells us to to warn everyone. And, and this, this proclamation through warning is, I think, directed mainly toward people that are not believers in Jesus yet. It's directed mainly toward unbelieving people. And, and, and it might sound a little bit odd at first, right? Um, we're, we're proclaiming something, something about Jesus. We know the gospel to be a word that means good news. And so why is it that we're warning people with, with good news? Warning is something that you do for, for bad news. Warning is something that you do for for bad things. But we know that there's a, an important warning in the gospel message, right? Think about the way that John the Baptist, the way that Jesus preached. Listen to this. You don't have to turn here, but listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and this is what he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then just the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both John the Baptist and Jesus preach messages of warning. And, and we should, too. They warn people that were in their sins, you need to repent. And so we warn people that Jesus is, is returning. The Lord of the universe is returning soon. And, and when he does, he's going to hold us accountable for our, our sins. The only hope is that our sins are covered by his blood, that we've repented of them, that we've turned to him as our, as our Savior. So we warn people. Secondly, he tells us to teach everyone. Warn everyone, 
and teach everyone. Teaching is the, is the, the more positive side of the, of the proclamation. One, one commentator named Curtis Vaughn, he says this. He says, teaching, which probably refers to a ministry for converts, for believers, points up the importance of instruction in the proclamation of the word. Right? Teaching is, is mainly focused toward believers, and it's based on, focused on the word that God has revealed to us. Finally, he tells us to warn everyone and to teach everyone with all wisdom. We have to do it wisely. Okay? So what does it mean to do it wisely? I think this is what it means. I think that we don't necessarily have to be sharing the gospel with people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right? We don't, we don't have to have our Bibles open leading a Bible study constantly. But I think it does mean that those things have to be on our minds constantly. And when we're, when we're in life, when we're in situations, those, those things have to be on our radar. And as we're coming in contact with people, we're, we're looking for opportunities to speak to people about Jesus. We're looking for opportunities when we're in church and, and we have a greeting time at the beginning of our service. We're looking for opportunities to encourage one another in Christ. We're going to get more into that in a little bit. But it means that we take advantage of each situation that we're, that we're in. We try to discern whether... Uh, we try to discern where people are and, 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 and where their need is and how we, how we interact with them best, how we meet them there. Does, does this person need to be uh, gently but firmly com- com- confronted with his sins? And am I the person to do that? Right? Maybe I'm not the person to do that. Maybe, I'm, maybe my relationship with this person isn't on a level where I can do that with him, but maybe I have a relationship with someone else where I could do that with that person if, if he needs it. Maybe I need to continue spending time with this person so that I can build that relationship and, and, and seek out and look for and pray for an opening soon to be able to speak to this person about the gospel. Last Sunday, I, I worked on Sunday afternoons in, in, uh, in Mount Washington. And last Sunday when I left church here, I, I went to Mount, Mount Washington and, and I stopped at this little gas station um, and I was getting a coffee or drink or something to, to take with me to work. And, and as I walked in, there was a man that was working there and he looked Middle Eastern to me and he had a, had a red dot on his forehead. And so I'm, so I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe this guy's from India. And he's, he's, uh, he, he's got some, something playing on the radio that I couldn't really understand what it was. I couldn't even really tell if it was English or, or some other language. And so I got my, my drink or whatever, and I came up to pay for it. And I, and I just asked him, what do you listen to? And he said he was listening to a Catholic church broadcast from, from somewhere because he didn't get to go to his church. I think he said church. He didn't get to go to his church that day because he was working. And I said, oh, are you Catholic? And he said, no, I'm, I'm Hindu. And he told me where his Hindu temple was. He invited me to come to his Hindu temple one, one Sunday. Uh, he said they have nice meals afterwards every Sunday, so I would enjoy that. Um, but, I, but I'm talking to him about that, right? And, and as he's telling me that, these two people walk in. These two other customers walk in. And it's a, it's a small gas station, and it's just me and him, and these two customers walk in. And, and so I leave it there. I just thank him and take my stuff and, and, and walk out. I don't, I don't get into a gospel conversation with him with these other people in the store, right? And, and that's okay. That, that's I think that was wisdom at that, at that point. But I'm planning to go back there this, this afternoon, right? And, and hope and pray on the way that, that no one is there, that no one else walks in so that I can have a, a deeper conversation with him, right? And maybe invite him here as he invited me to his, to his temple. And, and so we don't, we're not constantly sharing the gospel. We're not constantly leading, leading Bible studies and things like that, but we're constantly thinking that way. We're constantly looking for opportunities. We're constantly seeking out people that we can help in that way. So we proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus to everyone. We proclaim Jesus through warnings, everyone, and through teaching, everyone. 
And then finally, we're going to st- stay here just for, for quite a while, I think, this morning. The fourth point, why do we do it? Why is it that we proclaim Jesus? There's lots of reasons for us to proclaim Jesus, right? One, one reason is because it's an act of worship, proclaiming who Jesus is and, and making that known around the world. But, but Paul tells us here we proclaim Jesus at the end of verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal, the purpose of warning people, the goal, the purpose of teaching people is that we would present, that we would be able to present everyone mature in, in Christ. This is his goal. This should be our goal too. We're not seeking just to create converts. We're not seeking to, to create people who, who, who remain spiritually stunted, but people who, who, who are fully grown, who become fully grown, mature believers in, in Christ. Instead of mature, some of your Bibles, I'm not sure what translation you're, you're reading, but some of your Bibles might say something other than mature. It, it might say perfect. Um, in, in some translations, there might be other, other words there. I think the best way to get the point across here is, is to use a word like complete. That we might be complete in, in Christ. Talking about, about this, how, how best to express this word in English, one, one Bible scholar says this. He says, perfect is too strong because it has connotations of absolute perfection, absolute goodness, that kind of thing. He says, mature, on the other hand, is too relative. It, it invites us to think that as long as we're doing it a bit better than some other Christians we could name, then we must be doing it pretty well. We must be pretty mature. I, I think a better word is, is complete. The, the idea behind this word is, is a goal. There's, there, we're created for a purpose, and we're meeting that purpose. And, and we're, we're complete in Christ. Our salvation is coming to completion in, in Christ. Listen to, listen to how Paul says it in, in Ephesians, Okay. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, he says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all, listen to this, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And here's how he defines that. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. This is Paul's goal, and, and, and this should be our goal here as well, that, that everyone here would grow into the measure of the fullness of the, uh, of the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a very, very serious thing to think about, and, and I hope that you're kind of feeling the weight of that a little bit already. I hope that you're thinking right now, I hope, hope that you're kind of questioning yourself right now and, and, and thinking whether or not that phrase, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ describes you or not? Does it describe those that, that you're closest to? Does it describe your spouse? Does that, does that describe your, your children? Does that des- describe your siblings? Does it describe your closest friends? Listen a little bit further to what Paul says. This is in Colossians chapter 4. He's talking about one of the founders, one of the leaders of the church in, in, in Colossae, where he's writing this letter to. It's in chapter 4, verse 12. He's writing about this man named Epaphras. Listen to what Epaphras did. Listen to what Epaphras is known for. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayer. always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God.
got a hard question for you. Can, can you, th- and, I, and I'm asking this question to myself, right? Can, can you think of any person right now that you regularly struggle for in your prayers? Is there anyone in your life right now that your prayers for their spiritual growth, for their spiritual maturity, for their spiritual completeness could be described as a struggle? Even, even sometimes, even just every once in a while, let alone always, right? It says Epaphras was always that way. It said Epaphras always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Can you think of anyone like that that, that, that you pray for? And maybe you're thinking that, that's really hard. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I could do that. I'm not sure what that, what that means. Let, let, me, let me read this prayer to you. It's not long at all. You could just pray this prayer. Just repeat this very prayer, but, but put someone else's name in it. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is another prayer that Paul's writing here. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It's the same thing as that you might be made mature in Christ. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Right? Is there anybody in, in your life that you could pray that prayer for and struggle for their spiritual growth? Do you pray for your own growth that way? Do you work for your own growth that way? Do you struggle for your own spiritual growth that way? God's given us two uh, primary tools in, in, our, in our spiritual growth. Other things as well, but two primary tools that we use, that he uses to grow us spiritually. And, and one of them is his word. The first tool that God uses is his word. Uh, we're, we're all familiar with with 2 Timothy chapter 3, right, the, the kind of key passage on, on Scripture, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Competent is another good word for complete or mature, right, that we might be competent. The Word does that, Paul says. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for us, and he says this. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify is another word, kind of a big fancy word that means the same thing, right? He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to grow in Christ, if we're going to become mature believers in Jesus, if we're going to become complete, God uses his word to do that. He sanctifies us in his truth, and his word is truth. And then the second tool that God has given us to grow into completeness is his church. God's given us his church. God's, God's given us one another as a tool to help us grow into the image of Christ, grow into the full, the, the, what, what that phrase was, the measure of the stature of the fullness of, of Christ. When it comes to the, to the teaching ministry of the church, there's a, there's a special role and a special responsibility that, that pastors take on and other, other teachers, right? One of the, minim, one of the minimum qualifications for for being able to be a pastor is to be able to teach. The Bible says that. And that's true. We don't want to downplay that. But at the same time, there's much to be said about the responsibility that we each bear for teaching and for working the lives of one another. 
Right? Just, a, just a couple of chapters over in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing or warning one another in all wisdom. He tells the Colossians to teach one another, to admonish one another, to warn one another by the word of Christ. Romans chapter 15, talking here again to believers who are, are, are growing up into the image of Christ. He says, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. We have a responsibility for each other. E even look back at verse 28 a little bit more closely. Look at what Paul's been saying. He, he doesn't say that this is what he's doing, right? Look back at verse 28. He doesn't say this is what I do. He says this is what we do. He says we proclaim. And it's implied, I think, we warn and we teach so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I think, I think that, that we there, I think that plural there is a reference not just to Paul and maybe the other apostles, not just to Paul and the people that are traveling with him. I think it's a reference to the entire church. We have responsibility for each other. I need you to be here as often as you can. I need you to be in, in, involved in as many things as you can be. Not, not only for your own maturity, not only for your own growth, but because you being here is necessary for me to grow in Christ. I need to hear you singing good gospel songs like we sang this morning, right? I, I, need, I need to hear you um, making comments in, in, in Sunday school, making comments in Bible study. I need to hear you asking questions maybe that I haven't even thought to ask. I, I need you to help me grow in, in Christ, and you need me to help you grow as well, right? I need you to, to, to regularly pray for me, and you need me to regularly pray for you. And, and not just for our for our physical well-being, although that's important and, and we need to do that and that's good. And, and, and we, don't, we don't just need to pray for one another that, that God would be with us, generally speaking. right? We need to pray specific biblical prayers that, that we would be maturing in Christ, growing in godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus. We need each other. We need each other. We need his church. He set his church up this way. One thing I was thinking last night when I was thinking through this again, I've, I don't know if you all have, have one of these, but I've got, this is a, a little miniature version of the church directory, the latest one we got. I don't know if you all got the miniature one or not, but I was looking at it last night, and it's got almost eight pages in it, right? Almost eight. I think it's missing one person to have eight pages full of, of pictures. What if you made a New Year's resolution? We, we had these New Year's resolutions to read through the Bible in a year, Right? What if you made a New Year's resolution to pray through the church directory in a year? What if you made a New Year's resolution that every day you're going to pray for all the people on one page? That's 12 people, right? What if you made a, made a resolution? What if you made a commitment that, that you're going to pray for, for the church throughout 2017? The, the, the goal of ministry is the maturity of the saints. I, I should say one of the goals of ministry is the maturity of the saints, all of God's children. How are you doing when you measure yourself against that goal? Are you taking advantage of the tools that God has given to make that happen in your life? Are you, are you using the tool of God's word in your own private life and in the life of others? Are you reading and studying God's word with your family on your own? Are you involved in, in, in groups of, uh, of Bible study here at the church? Each week, there are at least six different Bible studies that, that, that we have here at the church. We have Sunday, Sunday school on, on Sunday mornings. We have Sunday morning worship, Sunday night worship, 
Wednesday morning Bible study, Wednesday night prayer and, and devotion, and then Thursday morning Bible study. And every once in a while we'll have weeks where we have more than that. But every week there's at least six opportunities for you to be involved in, in, in some type of teaching, for us to be involved in some type of, of teaching. How many of those are you involved in? If you're not involved in many of those, or maybe if you're not involved in any of those, is it, is it really because you can't be? Is it really because you don't have the ability to? Or is it because you have prioritized other things above your spiritual growth? Is it because you prioritized other things above my spiritual growth? If you're, if you're regularly here already on Sunday mornings for worship, which most of you are, and you're not involved in Sunday school, why not make the commitment to be here an hour earlier on Sunday morning and be involved in Sunday school? You're here already on, on Sunday morning anyway, right? Why not come just an hour early and be in, in, involved in that as well? Are you struggling for the rest of us? Are you struggling for the, for, for, for the, the rest of your church in your prayers? Right? I, I don't want to make a big deal about this and, and don't make a big commotion about it necessarily, but, but look around or think about the people that are sitting close to you right now in church. Right? Most of us come to church every Sunday morning. Most of us sit generally in the same area every week, right? Think about the people that are sitting, sitting close to you and, and sit close to you every, every week, week in and week out, okay? Now think about this. Did you pray for any of those people in the last year? Have you prayed for any of those people in the last month, the last week, the last few days for their spiritual growth, for their maturity in Christ, that they would grow up into the stature of the fullness of, of Christ. Paul could describe his whole life and work and ministry as proclaiming Jesus to everyone, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, with the goal being that, that, that he might be able to present everyone complete, mature, perfect in Christ. And my prayer this morning for, for me first and for, for all of us second is that 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 will be true for each of us as well. Let us take advantage of the proclamation and the warning and the teaching of the gospel here for the sake of our own maturity, and then might we commit ourselves even more firmly to one another for the sake of each other's maturity and completeness in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful to you this morning. Again, as I said before, that there is a gospel to be proclaimed. God, we're thankful that you have, have sent your gospel here to Fairdale, Kentucky. God, we're thankful that we are recipients of that message. God, I pray that you would help us to be fervent for those who have not heard that message yet. God, I pray that you would help us to be committed and zealous for our own spiritual growth, our own spiritual maturity, our own growing up in the image of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God, help us to be zealous for the same thing in our fellow church members. God, that I might change my heart, God. Help me that I might care more or as much about everyone else's spiritual growth as I do my own. God, I pray that would be true for, for all of us. God, we thank you for, for, for giving us such a good, faithful church. God, we thank you that your word is proclaimed here each and every week. And God, I pray that you would use that in my heart, in my life, and in ours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.